which we live and the wrong things about ourselves or about others, but yet, yet somehow in the midst of that, through the person of Jesus, God wants us to desperately know that he loves us. And it's the kind of love that surpasses our understanding. It's the kind of love that it is bigger than our circumstances. It's the kind of love that looks past our past and embraces where we are. And so this morning as we pray together, let's remember that. Let's celebrate that. Let's know that. As we pray, why don't we pray today, especially for the Bicehizen family as Don's dad passed away a week and a half ago, and we pray for them. I'm going to continue to pray for Bill Blakesley and for others who have just battled health issues. I'm going to pray for each one of those children that were up here this morning and the many others who are part of our church um, as school gets ready to start. For teachers and others who are going to invest in the next generation, I'm going to pray for them today as well. So Father, we come before you. We come thankful that you are a God who comes to us and says, I want you to know this. If you know nothing else, know that I love you. That you're created in my image, in the image of God himself. That you love us. And there's something in that that's so profound. There's something in that that we so often miss. There's something that offers a tangible value that we can't, can't hold. But it's true. And so, Father, we pray today that you would speak to us in such a way that our lives would actually be changed. That we would look different. That we would sound different. That we would actually become different. And may we embrace your love in such a way that we not only embrace it as truth in our own life, but we live in such a way that others would come to know you as well. This is not something you invite us to just know, but it's something you invite us to share. And so, Father, we pray today that you would help us in these moments, that you would help us to be your unique kind of people, that you would help us to love as you love. So, Father, we pray in these moments that you would help us to be the kind of kind of church that loves our community well. We pray today for Bill, for Phyllis, and we continue to lift them up. Pray now for the Bicehizen family. Pray now especially for those teachers and those students and all those as they get ready for school coming up soon, and we know that, that there's excitement and fear, and we pray that somehow through that you would do incredible things among our children and our families. And so we pray today that you would restore relationships that are broken, that you'd mend families that are wounded, that in these moments together you'd help us to, to not just know your love, but to share it and to experience it. And so, Father, we entrust this whole morning to you. The words that are spoken soon, may they be yours and not mine. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may, you may be seated. This morning, um, I want to mention a couple things. I want to say um, today, I'm trying something different today, so we'll see how that goes. We're going to, I have a few key phrases I want you to know, and so they're going to try to be on the screen, but I'm terrible at staying on task, so if it doesn't work out all right, then maybe it won't happen again, we'll see. Um, but I don't know if you caught the kids who were up here this morning, and they are just really a sampling of the children who call this church home. Uh, during the school year, and we know it's different in the summer, during the school year we average about 50 kids here every single Sunday morning. Um, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. But, but those are kids who call this place home. Um, 
call these people family. There are teachers who invest in them week in and week out. There, there are people who serve in this building every single week. There's people who serve outside this building. Many of you were part yesterday of what happened in the garden, thanks to Joe and so many others who put together an opportunity to, to serve a meal yesterday outside to our community. I mean, there are, there are things that happen and people serve every single week inside and outside the church. And so we, we think it's important at least once a year to take time to say we, we, we appreciate you. So right now, some of my favorite people aren't in this room because they're investing in my kids or your kids or your grandkids or they're making sure you had a cup of coffee that was hot and not cold um, or they're just making sure this place is okay. And so, so we have cards that are posted all around the building. They're in your seats. You probably saw them. They just say we can do more together. And so one of the things we believe is that's true. We can always do more together because by ourselves, we don't get that far. By ourselves, we cannot accomplish very much. And so our hope is that more of us will serve in some way, shape, or form. And so there's opportunity to serve in various ways. There's opportunity to serve, whether it's with our kids or whether you want to serve in the cafe or you want to greet people as they come in. Or we'd really like to start an op- start a ministry and an opportunity for service where someone would oversee even people as they come in our parking lot just to say, hey, we're glad you're here this morning and this is the way you go. And so maybe one of those things sticks to you and so as we're talking this morning, you'll be interested in being a part of that. So my encouragement to you is this, before you leave today, then sign up. It's pretty simple. If you sign up, someone will contact you within the next week or two and they'll try to get you plugged into something that you are interested in or they'll get you to the right class or the right group or the right people so that you can be a part of that. And so with that in mind, this morning we're going to be looking at a story from the book of Nehemiah. And so we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 1 in just a few minutes. But Nehemiah is an interesting story. I mean, maybe maybe you know the story of Nehemiah. Maybe you've heard of this guy named Nehemiah. And he, he lived in the land of Susa and King Artaxerxes was in charge. And so what we find is that Nehemiah, um, he's known for the story because there's this destruction. Jerusalem's in ruins. The city's a wreck. People don't know what's coming. And there's a couple of things that we can come to believe and know to be true in the middle of this chaos that is Jerusalem at the time. Um, Either people had lived in the condition so long they didn't realize how bad they were or they'd been living in the condition so long they couldn't dream of anything better and that nothing could change. We don't really know which one, but the truth is it could happen to any of us in any aspect of our life. We look at some area and we say, this is not going to change. It's just impossible to solve. So we give up. We stop imagining, we stop dreaming, we stop trying. And so this is why on the surface, when we look at Nehemiah's story, it helps us see that we really can do more together. There really is opportunity to make significant change in the world around us with others that we cannot do on our own. See, when we do something together, it has the potential to affect how a generation sees God. Huh. Oh, wait. It's the next one. We'll see. I think. Maybe not. No, we have no more slides. So that's what I have for you is this slide right there. We can do more together. And I'll say them, and you can repeat them if they go on the screen. Great. But, but we can, when we do something together, it has the potential to see how a generation sees God. So imagine with me, if you will, for just a minute, imagine being one of the teenagers that lived in Jerusalem. Imagine being a 13-year-old boy who, who looks around and he says, I hear these stories about how great God is. I'm tired of hearing these stories. 
I mean, hear these stories about how, how with trumpets they won the Battle of Jericho. I hear these stories about how Moses read people across the Red Sea. I hear these stories about how David killed Goliath. I hear these incredible stories about God doing incredible things in the world around us, but I don't see anything. What I see is a city in ruins. As a teenage boy, can you imagine your first thought was, I'm tired of hearing people talk about something. I'd like to see them actually do something. Hear how great your God is, but I see nothing that proves it. And I'm guessing this teenage boy would look at his dad and go, you know what, um, I think I'm going to skip temple this Saturday. I've paid attention in Saturday school, and I'm just not going to go anymore. It's kind of a waste of my time. This Passover thing, yeah, I'm not participating. And that lamb, that's going to be my pet, no longer a sacrifice. Right? Like, I'm done with this. I've watched your God and the way you worship, and I've said I'm done with it because I see nothing of value in it, so I don't want to do it. See, I, I can't help but think if we're not careful, there'll be a generation, those kids who were just sitting here just a few moments ago and a little bit older, who will say this. I hear people talking about the goodness of Jesus, but I don't see them living out much of that goodness. That's why the story of Nehemiah is such a powerful story. Nehemiah was a doer, right? We, we need more doers, right? We need people who are willing to step up and see something. But, but one of the things that Nehemiah does so well, it's the first lesson we can learn from Nehemiah, is he names what's broken. Nehemiah names what's broken. So if you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read just a few verses from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hin and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah is serving the king. Nehemiah finds himself in, in Susa. He's far from his homeland, but he asks when someone comes, what's going on where I'm from? And so he says, the, he hears these words. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The town is in ruins. The people aren't safe. I don't know where they're spiritually, I don't know what's going on in their lives, it's kind of a wreck. And so Nehemiah hears all this information as he processes it, he does a couple of things. He mourns, he fasts, and he prays. Because he doesn't know what to do next. But he knows something needs to happen, so he spends his time mourning and fasting and praying. But after he's done this, after several days, he moves to action because Nehemiah recognizes that lack of action is just as bad as being a part of the problem. It's the second thing we can learn in this. If you can't name the problem, you can't fix the problem. If we can't name a problem, we can't fix a problem that exists. I mean, sometimes we just need to look at what's broken around us. Sometimes we need to assess the situation and see what's really going on. And this is what Nehemiah does. And so he prays to God and he says, God, I don't know what to do with this. This is bigger than me, but I'm going to do something. 
I mean, every once in a while, it's good for us to have a wake-up call in our lives. It's good to have a wake-up call as a church and to see reality as it actually is, not as we wish it was. That's why it's easier to live yesterday than it is today. I mean, we can look back and we can always see backwards with rose-colored glasses. It's not the real world we see when we look backwards. It isn't. But what if we looked in the present and the future and said, God, what is next for us in the middle of this? See, it's what we do with the information. We see there's a problem that determines our character. It's whether we sit on it and do nothing. Oh, it's so bad. But what if we actually were motivated to serve and to work and to be a part of the solution? See, if our church ignores the problems that are happening in our community, we, we lose the right to speak into our community. You catch that? If we ignore the issues in our community and we don't, aren't actively engaging in solutions and we lose the right to speak into it to have influence. When we ignore or we don't move to action, we forfeit our credibility with the next generation and they see it and they know it. And that's why some of them aren't in the church today. Because you can talk about how good God is, but if they don't see the action in your life, then they're never going to want to be a part of what you're a part of. See, we can have influence with each other and not have influence in our community. We don't have influence because we're right. Like, that's good to be right, but that doesn't give you influence. You have influence when you care. We don't have influence because we're right with what we believe. We can believe the right thing and still not have influence. We have influence when we treat people the way they deserve to be treated, which, as God tells us, is to love them. Right? Sometimes we need to look at the reality around us and say, what's going on? What's actually happening? So I was thinking, what are the things in our community which we can obviously see that are legitimate issues and problems that we probably can help find a way to help solve in some way, shape, or form? And we never, may never fix them all the way, but we can invest as best that we can. Just two weeks ago, I, I was told in a conversation with a pastor in the area that, that the superintendent for the Fruitport schools was reaching out to a couple pastors because they recognized there's a problem with, with especially young children coming from adverse childhood environments, ACE they called it. And so in fact, they, they hired a position and part of that position is to liaison with churches because parents need help and the schools know they can't fix the parenting problem. It's kind of a good thing actually. Right, but, but schools can't fix parenting problems. Schools cannot restore families. Government can't legislate heart change. Marriages aren't saved by hoping for better. These things happen when people who are a part of churches are serious about changing the community in which they live. So what if we began to look at that stuff as real and tangible and try to come up with solutions or just invested our time with people? See, Nehemiah didn't ignore what was broken, and he didn't just hope for a miracle. Because I think sometimes you go, oh, God, will you just do something miraculous? And he's like, I kind of did. I created you. <laughs> uh, that's how that works. Like, do something. I mean, Nehemiah didn't wait for God to tell him what to do. Nehemiah basically prayed and said, God, I know there's a problem, and I'm going to get to work. And will you bless this, or will you change my direction as I go? See, and he moved quickly because there were legitimate threats to the people, both physically and spiritually, if, if nothing changed in the world around them. And then Nehemiah says something at the end of this first chapter, if I were to go on and read it. He ends with a, a kind of a weird line. His line is this, I was cupbearer to the king. When Nehemiah was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes the, the great emperor of its day. I mean, Nehemiah says, I was the cupbearer. And you go, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? 
Like, who cares that you were the cupbearer? His point's this. I wasn't the pastor or the priest or the leader or the governor. I was just a dude. I was just a guy who had a job. But I saw there was brokenness in the world, and I recognized it needed to change. And see, if you say, well, I'm not the pastor, I'm not this, or I'm not that. Well, of course you're not, but we are the church. We are each of us, every one of us in this room, an ambassador of Jesus. Right, so what if, what if Nehemiah's line, I was cut better to the king. What if I was saying, I'm, I'm just this, and, but what if that was good enough? In fact, what was more than good enough? But did you catch the other thing Nehemiah does? He knows who he is, and so he says this, I'm going to leverage whatever I have. I'm going to leverage everything I have. I'm going to go to Artaxerxes, and I'm going to say, hey, listen, the place where I've come from, the people who are mine, it's a mess. And he leverages what he has, and he says, well, what if, what if we could change that? What if you could help me change that community? What if it could look radically different by my life? And so he leverages whatever he has, and what if we did the same? Our status, our influence, our resources, our privilege, our knowledge, our connections, our finances, our jobs. And not just because we want to be good people, but because we're, we're God's people. And that's what we're called to do. Right, I, I, I get to hear some stories as your pastor that I appreciate hearing. Um, I heard about a story this week, uh, or last week I guess it was, about Mandy Anderson and, and she works in dialysis and, and someone said to me, man, if I didn't already have a church because of the way she serves in her role and the way she talked about your church, I would come be a part of your church. Some of you served yesterday in places around and with a dinner and with a garden, and we can't say thank you enough for the way you served others in that. I mean, I hear about how some of you are teachers, and yet you're changing diapers in the nursery on Sunday morning. I know how some of you I've heard are someone who's an HR leader of a company who works with our toddlers. You know, there are people who, who are salesmen and all kinds of other things, and they serve faithfully and sacrificially all over the place. I mean, this is incredible stuff. They could go, well, I'm just this, I'm just that. But what happens if we take whatever we are and, and we begin to use it? I mean, it's the people willing to leverage whatever they have to reach the next generation, especially our kids and our teenagers. I'll never understand, I will never understand when people who are followers of Jesus don't want to invest an enormous amount of resources in kids and teenagers and do whatever it takes to reach them because it is when they're the most malleable, it's when they're the most able to be shaped. I'll never understand why we don't want to do everything we can to reach those generations because that will literally change the world. But not only did Nehemiah leverage what he had, he risked all kinds of stuff. Do you think it wasn't risky to go to the emperor and say, hey, here's what I want? I think I could have just killed him. I need a new cupbearer because I just killed the last one. I mean, what could have happened there? Instead, he, Nehemiah risked his privilege, his position, and his power because people are worth it. Right? What are you willing to risk? See, we can't expect to rebuild or restore anything without having the potential to cost us personally. I mean, let's be honest. We all want preschoolers to get a better start. We all want kids that are in foster care to find a home. We want churches to thrive we want no poverty or crime in our cities. We want whatever's broken to get restored as long as it doesn't cost us anything personally. 
because that personal cost hurts. But what we need are more Nehemiahs who are willing to risk whatever it takes, who are doers. Because they're going to do whatever it takes to heal what's broken, to fix what needs restored. I mean, Nehemiah not only went to the king, but then he left his comfort zone, his place, his home, and he went off to Jerusalem. He went someplace he didn't know. He just knew of. In other words, it's this idea that Nehemiah wants us to know, to go see for yourself. Go see for yourself what's broken. We can sit back all we want and say all kinds of stuff, but if we don't know what's actually going on, we can't speak to a solution if we're not present in the midst of the situation. Go see for yourself. Because our proximity always changes our perspective. Right? Proximity changes our perspective. We, we can say all kinds of stuff. Like, I love when people, and, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm not picking on Holly, actually, I love that she said it. I, I didn't know she was going to say it today. But, but she said, I, I get tired of people saying, oh, these kids today. No kidding. Stop saying it. Or see, those millennials, you mean those adults? It's like a person that's 40 with kids. Right? I mean, like, stop saying it. It's not helpful. If you're not going to build up the next generation, then be silent. But for all of us, that's true. So when we say something about children, if it's not building them up, it's tearing them down. And that's the opposite of who God is. See, proximity also doesn't give us influence. It helps us see more clearly, but it does not give influence. Relationships give influence. Relationships give influence. But the more of us that get close to the brokenness, the more impact we'll have. And you see it for people, not just situations and things that are out there. You begin to know who people actually are. Imagine what would happen if it's rather than us speaking, we got close enough before we passed judgment, before we made a statement, before we offered solutions, before we posted anything on Facebook. Imagine we got close enough that these people had names and stories and we knew them. Right, what would happen if we got close enough to families that they're dealing with special needs kids and need help? What if some of our friends were actually of a different color than we are? What if we built relationships with people who don't share our views, whether politically or spiritually or any other way? What if we reached out to those who are marginalized, to those that are above or below the poverty line, those in different socioeconomic classes than we are? What if we reached out to those who are a part of injustices and tried to help? What if... We went to those who were facing impossible odds and said, but I know who does the impossible. What if? What if? Then maybe, if we were close enough to them in the situation, we might be willing to do something about it. Like the measure of our church's success isn't the number of people sitting in seats in here today. That's not the measure of success. The measure of success is the number of people we're impacting by the people who gather together. It's the number of people willing to show up in the lives of other people is because it's great that you go to church. I want you to keep doing it. I think God does a formative work in us week in and week out. It's why consistency matters. But if you think that's all your life needs, then you don't know Jesus. He wants more. He wants everything. But what if, right now you're going, well, how do we do this? What do we do? What's this look like? What if we made sure that every single kid, every single kid had an adult who will show them who Jesus is? What if every kid, every kid, 
knew at least one adult in their life who loved Jesus and loved them. Right? What if, what if we look around and we see brokenness all over, but what if we decided to start acting like this church is the best chance that any kid has to experience God's love from a consistent and caring adult? What if we acted like that? See, I was thinking, what, what would it do? I mean, this is, part, this is why there are cards for you to fill out because some of us in this room have opportunity to serve in some area where at least the next generation will know they matter. I mean, maybe it's just greeting someone at the door. You say, well, that's just greeting someone at the door. Yeah, but what if you learned one kid's name that you didn't know before? And what if every single Sunday they showed up, you made a point to go to them and go, hey, I was praying for you this week. Billy, I love you. Most of I'm praying for you. What if you paid attention to their life and you begin to ask them questions? What if you don't even have to teach their Sunday school class or teach their children's church class or, or anything, but what if you just made a point to get to know them? And then no longer they, oh, those kids today, but they become people who matter because you know their name. See, there's, there's a truth I believe to be true is that the next generation is watching you and I. I'm going to say, are you people like Nehemiah who are doers and are going to be active in the world and changing the world and repairing what's broken? Or are you people that were sitting in Jerusalem going, well, cities in ruins. Oh, well. It's just never going to be better than this. This is what it is. And you sound like Eeyore. All right. Cool. We don't need more Eeyores. We need more Nehemiahs. See, there's no substitute and a kid's life for a consistent leader. They're waiting to make a decision about the God we say we serve. Are we willing to get close enough that we won't lose them? Or our personal preferences or our pride or other things hinder us from reaching out to that next generation? I don't know. I can't make that decision for you. Only you can make that decision. I mean, and all this, there's hope. There's hope that God, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the story next week where Nehemiah really does rebuild the wall, where, where he does it by family and these people come together and they do something incredible that happens because there really is truth that we can do more together than we, we can ever do alone. When we name what's actually broken, when we leverage all that we have, we get close to the brokenness ourselves and we build relationships and we get to know people and we begin to put things in action. This is what God then restores and he works through. But we have to step up and we have to say something and we have to do something because anything less than that is called unfaithfulness. Right, I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this story, but I'm going to. Um, this morning I was told that someone was saying to them, I just wish I could do more. You know, I'm, I'm 83 years old and, and I just wish I could do more to serve. And, and that the same person said, well, you watch my children for me so I can serve in other areas and you help with you do my laundry sometimes so I can help in other areas. See, I don't know how old you are. My grandmother was 95 and last Saturday I spent part of the day in the hospital with her and we're in the hospital with her and she says, you know, I've been thinking, I think I can do a better job of inviting people who don't go to church to church. My grandma, you're 95 and you're in a hospital bed. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I, th I think I can do better at that. I, I, God's still teaching me some stuff. And, and like, see, when we get older, we, we have kind of really one of two choices. We continue to be pliable and to grow or we say, mm, 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 mm. We don't really use words. We just kind of 
grumpy. We don't need more grumpy people. If you're grumpy, stop being grumpy. No one likes a grumpy person. But I hope today you'll think about where am I serving in the life of the church in some way or not. And I hope you'll think about taking one of these cards. They're in the seats in front of you. They're out in the foyer. They're all over this place. Because at the end of the day, what we want everyone to know is this. That God's going to continue to do his work in this community. It's going to happen. He's going to restore what's been broken. And he's going to do it with us or in spite of us. But I don't know about you, but I'm willing to leverage whatever I have. I'm willing to, to do whatever it takes. I hope I'm willing to let it cost me personally to reach those that no one else is reaching because if we're not going to do it, someone else will. And if we're not going to do it, then the walls might as well crumble anyway. And so as the the priest team comes to lead us in one more song today, as we think about this God who desperately loves us, as we think about what is it going to take for us to reach the next generation, next week we're going to talk about how how there are only 52 weeks in a year. In fact, we, we were going to have to show some marbles, like show some diagrams. So at best, the reason we partner with families is because if, if we have a kid every single Sunday for an entire year, that's 52 hours a year. Sounds like very little, if we're honest. It's less than a week. And if we show you all the other hours that other people have to invest in them, it is dramatically different. So what if we began to be a people who invested in the next generation more than just Sunday morning? What if we begin to believe that we really can do more together? What if we begin to pray that way and to live that way and to act that way and to trust that God really does want to restore and redeem and make all things new? And what if we began to believe he wants to use you? Because Nehemiah said, I was just the cupbearer. I just carried the cup to the king. But he leveraged whatever he had, his position, his power, and his privilege. And he knew it could cost him everything and he did it anyway. Will you think about, will you pray about how you can serve? I mean, take the card home today if you can't fill it out right now and bring it back next week. But I know this, that God wants all of us to serve in his church, to serve one another, and especially to serve the next generation. Father, will you help us today as we try to be the kind of people who know and love you? Will you help us to be the kind of people who try to invest in the next generation, who try to be people who are we're changing the world around us because here's the reality. We, we do believe in a God who has restored all that's been broken before. We do believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead. And so we don't want to just be like the people in Jerusalem who said to our kids and to our grandkids, hey, do you remember when God did this thing a long, long time ago in other generations? He led people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He defeated a whole army with trumpets blowing. He led us across water and he stopped it from falling. I mean, God did some pretty incredible stuff long, long time ago. So Father, help us because our kids and our grandkids and the next generation don't need us just telling stories about the past. They need, us, they need to see something in the present. So Father, will you help us? Will you help us to be doers and not just believers? We help us people who step out in faith, who love well, who get close to stuff that makes us uncomfortable, and really do try to change the world. For some of us in this room, we're not sure what to do with this. Maybe it'd be as simple for some of us just going to, to taking an hour or two a week and going to read in some classroom. Our teachers all over who would love for some adult to come read to their kids. For some, maybe that's even too difficult, but the least we can do is pray.
So, Father, you help us to be a people of prayer. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We stand and sing with us this morning. Your love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out on me.